One, two, one, two, one, one, two, three. Good afternoon. We're glad you're able to join with us. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing, and we welcome you to our weekly open-air outreach. This week we're coming from Glasgow City Centre, from Buchanan Street, and we're very glad you're with us. And quite simply, we want to, for the few moments that we're here, and as you pass by, that we might be enabled to say something uh, concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the very sum and substance of the Christian gospel, and indeed there is no Christianity and there is no gospel without Jesus Christ. We know many people would like to eliminate Christianity from the public square and from the life of the public, but we recognize that without Christ we have no hope, none whatsoever. And therefore we seek to come out and to present them to you, because, brethren, the, the Bible would urge us to put our faith and our hope upon Jesus Christ. Now, how can you possibly put your faith and hope upon someone you know nothing about? And another question, how can you possibly put your faith in someone when you don't know why you should put your faith upon him? These are two vitally important questions. And if these questions are not asked and they're not answered, well, you'll never value and you'll never appreciate Jesus Christ the Lord. So, who is Jesus? And why is He so important? Well, we have to go right really to the very beginning. What is the beginning? Well, the beginning is the beginning of time. The Bible opens up in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There, right at the very beginning of God's Word, God does not seek to introduce Himself. He does not seek to demonstrate His existence. 
he simply states that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And uh, the Bible would teach that when God looked upon his creation, he said it was good. In fact, he said more than that. He said it was very good. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power and in the space of six days and all very good. And therefore, when God created everything, and he's the one who has created the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, this universe, he's the one who has created all life, whether that life is insect life, or plant life, or fowl life, like birds, or like fish, the fish life, animal life, and indeed mankind. He is the one who has created all. He's the great life giver. And he's the great one who upholds and sustains his vast and glorious and complex creation. Day by day, he upholds the creation that he has made. And when our first parents were created, who were they, you might say? Well, they were Adam. He was first. He was created out of the dust. And from him, his wife came. She was created from Adam. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were perfect. They enjoyed a wonderful relationship <coughs> with their Creator. There were no barriers. There were no obstacles. There was wonderful harmony. There was peace. There was fellowship. There was a wonderful relationship. But something happened. We don't know how long after they were created, but something happened. You may well ask me then, what happened? Well, God has an enemy. And that enemy is called Satan. And he came along, and first of all, he tempted Eve. You see, God had given our first parents a very clear and simple command. What was that command? That command was that they could eat from all the trees in the garden. They could eat all the fruit that was on all the trees in the garden apart from one the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not allowed to eat from that fruit. Dogs eat! <laughs> no. Yeah. Bye -bye. 
Are you talking about Paul's plight or flight or trip to Rome? He's tripped to Rome, he's tripped to Rome, and he's yeah. and he, he was shipwrecked at, at uh, Malta, yes. Ah, he told him to jump off the ship. That's right. Hold on to your ankles. Well. Big man, I'm bold the apostle, part of them mad boys. No, you need to be safed, sir. I, I'm always safe. Can I speak? Can I speak? You, well, I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping you from speaking. I can't. Can I say, thank Lord, thank no, Lord. no, you can't. No, you get no equipment. Can no. I say, cost a deal? No. You need to be saved, sir. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you we shall be saved from all our sins. No, no. No, no. You need to be born again. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Beware of alcohol, beware of excess alcohol drinking. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Be not among wine-bibbers, among rioters, eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man, but he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. And these are verses that are found in the Word of God to remind us that we are to be temperate in all things. And that most certainly includes our diet and our drinking of alcohol. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself Aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent, and sticketh like an adder. Another warning. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will drink, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. These are warnings that are contained in the Word of God, that we would be careful about what we consume and to be temperate in all matters. We were talking earlier about the Lord, about God who had created Adam and Eve, and they were perfect, and they knew a wonderful relationship with their Heavenly Father, their Creator. But the evil one came along. Who's the evil one? The evil one, Satan. And that's the one who 
hates God. And he came and tempted Eve. Because Adam and Eve had been given a very clear and very simple commandment. They could eat from all the trees in the garden of Eden. They could eat their fruit except for one. And this was simply to test them whether they would obey the Lord their God or not. God had been gracious to them. God had been good to them. He had created them. And he had created a garden for them. A wonderful place for them to live. And to prosper. And therefore God gave them this simple clear commandment. To test whether they would love him and serve him or not. Well the evil one came. And tempted Eve, and he said, did God really say that? God is simply wanting to fetter you. He wants to keep you back. He does not want you to reach your full potential. You go and eat that fruit. And when you eat that fruit, you'll become like God. And God doesn't want this. They forgot, or at least Eve forgot, that she was already made in the image of God. But she listened to God's enemy. She sided with God's arch enemy. And she ate the fruit, and then she gave some to her husband, and he ate the fruit also. Now, we might think, well, these things really don't matter that much. That was about 6,000 years ago, and surely it doesn't have a bearing, and it doesn't have an effect upon us today. How long can we be? Because all our problems, and all our difficulties, and all the things that happen in this world, that are against us can be stemmed to this fact that Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they became sinners and they had a sinful nature. Before that, they were pure and holy and upright and they enjoyed a wonderful relationship. But when they sinned, that relationship was broken. And that's our problem today, friends. That's why we have so many problems in this world. That's why we have problems in homes where we have broken marriages, where we have disobedient children, where our prisons are full, where our courts are full, and all kinds of problems that affect mankind today can ultimately be traced to this fact that we're all sinners. How are we all sinners? Well, Adam and Eve became sinners, and they had a sinful nature. And their nature was passed on to us by natural generation. They passed it on to their sons and daughters. And we've all come from Adam and Eve. And therefore, we're all sinners in the sight of God. There are no exceptions. None whatsoever. And this is the greatest problem that affects us. We might have many problems today to concern ourselves with. And surely there are problems in society, but they do not in any sense compare with this major problem. Because of sin, we are estranged and we are separated from God. And we don't have the relationship that we should have with our Creator. Well, I hear you saying to me, well, I thought the Christian gospel was good news. And all you seem to be saying to me today, minister, is bad news. Well, friends, I have to lay some foundation. If you're going to build a house, 
You don't build it upon sand. You get a good foundation. And once you've dug your foundation and made your foundation secure, then you build your house. Well, the preacher has to do much the same. He has to lay down a foundation. And he has to mark out what it really is, our problem. And then, and only then, he brings in the glorious and the wonderful and the all-sufficient solution Lord our God has provided. What is our solution then to our greatest problem of our sin? The solution is to be found in a person. And that person is none other than God's Son. The Son of God who became the Son of Man. This is God's solution. This is what God has done. And first of all, we should realize that this itself is something noteworthy. This is something that we should bear in mind. Are we not the ones who have sinned against God? Are we not the ones who have offended God by our behavior? He is a holy God. He is righteous and pure. We are sinful. God is the one who has provided the solution. It's not mankind. Mankind is happy in our sins. Mankind is happy to be estranged and to be separate from God. But God in His wonderful love, His infinite love, has done something glorious and wonderful. He saw our plight. He saw our position. He saw us lost and perishing. He saw us without hope in this world. And He did something about it. What did He do, minister? I'll tell you what He did. He sent forth His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. There, there we see what God has done. God has sent the ultimate gift. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a legion of angels. He sent His only begotten Son. Now how can this possibly have any bearing upon us? Well, He sent His Son, and His Son became just like us. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by a miraculous, mysterious, supernatural operation of God the Holy Spirit. Don't ask me to explain it to you. It's impossible. No one can possibly explain it. And I put it to you. Some of you maybe who are skeptical. I put it to you. Can you truly explain natural gen generation? I don't think so. We don't know these things. And we certainly don't know how the Holy Spirit brought about this glorious and this wonderful conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But that conception ensured that the Lord Jesus Christ, when He was born in the normal manner, 
he would be free from sin. He would not be tainted by sin. Every one of us, by nature, when we come into this world, or indeed even earlier, when we are conceived, we are conceived in sin. We are shapen in iniquity. But not so Jesus Christ. He knew no sin. The Son of God came out of the womb. Come out of the womb, the Son of Man, and He was perfect. And what's more, His life demonstrated that He lived a perfect life. Now this is important for us because we need a Savior who's sinless. And this Savior is only the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Savior lived a perfect life. He lived in, in obscurity for about 30 years. And then he began his public ministry. And for around three years, he went around Palestine, he went around Galilee, and he went around Judea and Jerusalem. And he began to preach and to teach and to heal and to perform wonderful miracles, all demonstrating that he was the Son of God, that he was the long-promised Messiah, that he was the one who has come from heaven in order to rescue mankind. And he lived a perfect life. Can you imagine that, someone living a perfect life? None of us have lived a perfect life. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he never had a bad thought. He never spoke a wrong word. He never had to apologize to anyone. He never performed a wrong deed. He lived a perfect life. Again, this is important. It's all part of the good news of the gospel. Having lived a perfect life, he was then able at the appointed time to offer up a perfect sacrifice. Now, why did he offer up a perfect sacrifice? Well, he did that on behalf of others. You see, sin is extremely serious. It may not be serious to you at this moment, but sin is extremely serious. And it's serious to God because it is offensive to Him. It's against His nature and He must deal with it. And Jesus Christ, when He offered up Himself as that once for all perfect sacrifice, He was paying the price for our sin. He was paying the price for the fact that we had broken God's law. You see, as I said earlier, sin is exceedingly serious. Because God says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus had to die. He died in our room and in our place. He took the punishment that rightly belonged to others. He himself was punished as our substitute in our room and in our place. Now, 
Here we have a Savior. And there He is on the cross. You know, some people deny that He was crucified. Some people say that it was Judas that was crucified. And not Jesus. Well, we know that to be nonsense. Because the Bible tells us clearly that Judas, after he betrayed the Lord Jesus, he committed suicide. But the Lord Jesus Christ was put on a cross and the nails were put through his hands and his feet and uh, there was a rope round his waist to tie him to the cross. And then he was up there and he suffered and died in the room and place of sinners and God was punishing him in our room and in our place. And at the end he cried out, it is finished. Why did he say that? Well, it was a cry of victory. He was saying that he had undertaken everything and done all that was required in order to save sinners. And therefore when he cried out, and you'll notice friends in the Bible it says, he cried out with a, a loud voice. You know, when people die, if you've ever been to a deathbed, you will know that people can hardly speak. But here was Jesus, there suffering in agony, yet he was able to cry out triumphantly, it is finished. And that was a victory cry. And that's telling you and me this afternoon that Jesus Christ has done everything, all that was required of him. You know, some people might say that his life was a waste. Here he was, about 33 years of age, and lived a perfect life, yet he was crucified like a criminal. Not even like a, cro a common criminal, but of the vilest sort. Surely people would say, well, his life was there for a waste. But no, it wasn't. Because that's why he came into this world. He came ultimately to suffer. You know... If he had come into this world and he had simply taught us and he, if he had simply preached and if he had performed miracles and if he had just given us a good example that would never save any one of us. There would be no gospel. He had to die because the soul that sinneth it shall die. Now, having said something about Jesus Christ the Lord. And indeed, it's only something. The whole Bible is full of Christ. And we can hardly keep our mouths shut when we speak about Him. We have so much to say about Him. And we're only touching the surface here. But when we speak about Jesus and what He's done, we tell you now that you must respond. You must respond to this person. You must Believe upon Him in order to be saved. You know, many people tell me, Oh, I believe in God. And I believe that there's life after death. And therefore, I believe that when I'll see God, that He'll be merciful to me. Friends, something else is required. Something more than that is required. Do you know, the evil one, the devil, believes in God. 
and a simple belief in God will never save any one of us. The devils believe and they tremble. And you might tremble, but that itself will not save you. What must I do, therefore, to be saved? What you must do is call upon Jesus Christ. You must have Him as your Lord and Savior. That is what's required about. That's why Jesus said Himself to His own disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. What was he saying? Well, surely he was saying that no one will go to heaven, for that is where the Father is. No one will go to heaven unless Christ takes them. This is what's required of us. We are to put our faith and our hope and our trust upon him. We are to believe that he is the Son of God. Many people say they honor Jesus, but they don't recognize him as being the Son of God. They think he's nothing more than a teacher or a prophet. Well, that's not enough. Jesus is the Son of God. He is, as the Son of God, He is eternal. He has no beginning. Jesus, as the Son of God, is the Creator. He's the one who has brought all things into being. What does it say, for instance, in Colossians, in chapter 1, verses 15 and 17? It talks about Jesus like this, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. There is so much in these verses, but surely these verses testify to us that Jesus Christ is no mere man. No. He is the God-man. He is the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is the great Creator, the one who spoke and brought all things into being at a word and at a command. Everything that has been created has been created by Jesus Christ. The things that are visible, all the things around us, and the things that are invisible. What are the invisible things? Well, the invisible things, friends, are the spiritual world. There's another world around about us. Angels and the spiritual world that we're rapidly heading towards. He is the one who has created all of them. 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. John in his gospel says, In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Therefore, when you have your faith and hope and trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you have upon that great Creator God. He alone is the one who can save, and He's worthy of your admiration. He's worthy of your trust, because, friends, He's alive. Earlier I spoke about His crucifixion, and yes, He died. Indeed, a very central part of Christianity. As the Apostle Paul said, we preach Christ and Him crucified. But He was taken down off the cross and He was put into a tomb. The tomb wasn't His. It was a borrowed tomb. And that's important because He had no intention of staying there. When you and I will go to the grave, we'll be there until Jesus calls us forth. But he went to a borrowed tomb because he had no intention of staying there. And he went there. He was there on the Friday night. He was there on the Saturday, all day Saturday. But on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, he arose out of the grave. And that grave was sealed with a stone and it had a Roman guard there. But none of these things... No, thank you, sir, I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. No, no, I'm quite happy to say about Jesus and the resurrection to tell people to turn from their sins and to turn away from drinking alcohol to excess no, I will not be quiet. I have a voice, and I will use it. Just a word of uh, gratitude, really. Thank okay, you for sir. the wonderful word. Thank you. God richly bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> We're glad to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland. Continuing, we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. If you want to come and join us, we'd love to see you. If you go up Dumbarton Road, you will come to the police station. Opposite the police station, go up the hill there. I know it's a steep hill, it's a steep climb, but go up that hill and you'll come first of all to Thornwood Primary School. And we're next door at the crossroads and we welcome you on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m. or in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we also meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. And we do extend a sincere, warm welcome to you all to come along. We're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries. But may the Lord bless His Word to you this afternoon.
นคืออาทิตย์นี้เราเพราะว่าเราได้รับการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการแสดงออกมาในการOpposite the police station, go up the hill, and you'll come to the school, Thornwood Primary School. Then we're next door at the crossroads, and we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along. Any Lord's Day, that Sunday, at 11 a.m. or in the early evening at 6 p.m. We also have a midweek meeting, and we meet at 7:30 on Wednesday evening. You're welcome to any of these public meetings. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We seek to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our services are based and revolved around the Bible, which. We know to be the word of God, and we want to do our part in that great commission that Christ has given to His church. You might be familiar with that great commission that He said to His His early apostles and disciples to go into all the world. And to preach the gospel, and to make disciples of all nations, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And they were promised that He would be with them. And in that sense, we do believe that Christ is with us this afternoon, as we seek to. Bring something of the Christian gospel to you as you pass by. Now we we feel an urge to do this, not just because we have been commissioned, as indeed of all Christians being commissioned to do this, but we come out friends because we recognise that in the day that we live in, very few people go to the house of God. Churches are closing, and those that are open are largely empty. And even some of those churches that are open are not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, many people, maybe even people here on the street this afternoon, are coming into this world, and they're going through this world. And entering into eternity, and they've never heard of the gospel. They've never heard about Jesus Christ, and therefore we feel it is incumbent upon us to do what we can, even for this short period of time, as you're passing by, 
that we might be enabled to say something about the Savior. We might ask ourselves this question. You know, maybe we live in a day and in a time when people don't like to ask questions. Maybe we live in a time when people don't think that much and instead they tend to be spoon-fed from the media. Well, it's good to be sober sometimes and to think and to reflect and to ponder about life. What's it all about? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's all this about? And maybe one question that we might ask ourselves is, why did Jesus come into this world? Why did the Son of God leave heaven and all the glory that He had there? You know, if heaven was revealed to us, we couldn't possibly comprehend it. We haven't got the mental capacity to comprehend the glory and the wonder and the beauty and the splendor of heaven. It's beyond us. But the Son of God And he became just like us. What does that mean? Well, he took a human nature to himself. And he lived in this world just like any one of us. Why did he do this? Why did he so humble himself like this? You know, the Apostle Paul talks about the humiliation of Jesus. He says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here the Apostle Paul is reminding us that the Son of God, when He came to this world, He turned His back in some sense upon what He was. He is God in the flesh. Yet, His glory was veiled. You couldn't see it. And only on rare occasions did He reveal something of His glory. And He came into this world in the form of a servant. And He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Something that the Romans would not allow to happen to a Roman. But Jesus suffered a most terrible death. It was all part of His humiliation. Why did He do this? Well, 
the Apostle Paul tells us in another occasion why he did it. He says to Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he did it. That's why he undertook all his condescension and humiliation. It was in order to save. Save sinners. Now, who are the sinners? Are you a sinner? Am I a sinner? Are the sinners in prison? What are the sinners in the street of Buchanan Street this afternoon? What does the Bible say? We must take everything from the Bible. This is our authority. It is God's holy book. It's His only holy book. There is no other book that's got, that has got God's stamp and God's approval. The Bible tells us, friends, there is none righteous, no, not one. None whatsoever. Ever since our first parents sinned, Adam and Eve, the whole of mankind has been affected by sin. Adam's sin has been imputed unto us. And we have also committed our own personal sins. So that it is true, as Paul says on another occasion, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone in Buchanan Street this afternoon has fallen short of the glory of God. This is God's verdict upon us all. And God is perfect, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, by itself, that statement offers no comfort. But we don't take that statement by itself. It is true, of course, and we don't deny it. But there's more to the gospel message than that. And the gospel message would tell us, yes, that we are sinners. There's unrighteous, no, not one. And the gospel would also go on to tell us that the wages of sin is death. It's an extremely serious thing to be a sinner in the sight of God. Because if it's not dealt with, it's not addressed. And should we pass into eternity having our sins upon us, we will encounter eternal death. And therefore, I do not wish in any sense to diminish the seriousness of sin. But there's more to the gospel message than that. The message is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Yes, this is surely the very heart 
of the gospel message that Christ has done something for us. Christ has come down from heaven. He took our form. He took our nature. Became like us and lived in this world. And He lived a perfect life. Never sinning. Can you imagine that? Never sinning. River City. What's that got to do with it? Eh. We're talking about the holy city. About Jerusalem. And to be in the holy city. That's what we're to be in. Doesn't matter if we're in the river city or not. Yes, friends. The great hope of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. All kinds of sinners. And he demonstrated it even just before he was just before he was he died on the cross. There were two other persons beside him on crosses. He was in the middle cross. And there was a thief on one side and another thief on another side. And they were being crucified. They were being punished because of their terrible lifestyle and for the crimes they had committed. And as the crowd were throwing insults at the Lord Jesus, so were the thieves. But something happened to one of them. Some of them, went, some of them had a change of heart. One of these criminals changed. And instead of criticizing and mocking and reviling Christ, he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. It's very interesting to note, if you read the Bible, you will know, as I said, there were many people and they were throwing insults at Jesus and he didn't respond to them. But here was a poor penitent thief who was about to die and who was about to go into eternity. And what does he do? He turns to the Lord Jesus and he says, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What did Jesus say to him? Did Jesus tell him, get lost? Did Jesus say, I want nothing to do with you? Did Jesus say, you're being punished for your wicked deeds? You deserve what you get? No. He said to that thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. In other words, his sins were forgiven. He was reconciled to God. No. What's happening? Shout. <clears throat> so that's what he said to the penitent thief. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This man's sins were forgiven. This man was tied to a cross and he could do nothing for himself. This man could perform no good works. This man could not give to charity. This man was on his way to eternity. And he encountered Christ. And Christ gave him that assurance. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is heaven. 
let me ask you, if you were to pass into eternity this afternoon, would you go to paradise? Would you go to heaven? Have you got a hope for heaven? Do you think that you would be in heaven? This man, he got up in the morning and he was on the road to hell. He was going to be crucified. He was a violent criminal. And according to the law, he, de he deserved his punishment. But he had his sins forgiven. And he was reconciled to God. And he was given that wonderful assurance. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Where will you go when you pass into eternity? Where will you go? Yes, it's a serious question. And you must ask yourself. I must ask myself. Because we're all mortal, as we know. We're only here for a short period of time. Where will you go? Well, the gospel tells us that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, Of whom I am the chief. He recognized that with all his religion beforehand, he was far from perfect. But even more than that, as a Christian, even as the great Apostle Paul, he still recognized that he was a sinner and a great sinner. But we are here to tell you, friends, that there's a great Savior for great sinners. What must we do then? We must repent. This is part of the gospel call. Repent. What does that mean? It means to turn away from our sins. Or we might put it another way, to turn away from our old lifestyle. At the moment, you're living a life that pleases yourself. You're the number one in your life. And you're doing everything as you see fit in order to please yourself. Well, when you repent, you turn your back upon your old life. You put the Lord your God first. Jesus said on one occasion, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, when you repent, when you turn your back upon your old life, you begin to obey God. You begin to take His commandments seriously. He has given us a law. And that law is summarized or codified or written down for us in the Ten Commandments. And that first commandment tells us, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
In other words, you're to serve the one true and the living God first and foremost. That's what's required of you. And to repent, therefore, you to recognize that He is Lord, He is God, and that He has a right to demand your obedience to His law, the law that all of us have broken. You might say to me, well, I, I've never broken the law of God. Oh, friends, we have, all of us. And if we don't think we've broken God's law, it is because we don't really understand God's law and how it applies to us. The first commandment that I've already quoted, what does it say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, I am certain that all of us here do not love and do not serve the Lord our God as we should Instead, our principal concern is rooted and grounded in ourselves. And therefore, we are in place of God. And an idol is anything that takes a place that rightly belongs to the Lord our God. Your idol may well be yourself. Your idol may well be your money. Your idol may well be your prosperity, your possessions. It may be your entertainment. It may be your work. It may be your spouse. Or maybe your children. Or your grandchildren or something else in this world, something that takes your affection and demands your attention, that is a God. Anything that takes a place that belongs to God alone. And, as the book of James will tell us in James chapter 2, if we have broken one of the commandments, then we have broken them all. We are lawbreakers. Not in the sight of the law of the land. Granted that's true. But as far as God is concerned. And God is strict. He demands perpetual, perfect obedience. Now we cannot render that. We cannot give that. Impossible. But there's one who did. Who is that? That is Jesus Christ. He has perfectly kept. Oh yes, he has. He's perfectly kept the law of God. Believe upon him. His righteousness is given unto us. His is given. It is imputed to our account so that as far as God is concerned, it is as if we have never Marvelous. This is absolutely glorious. 
This is beyond what we could possibly expect. But this is the wonder and the bounty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has secured by his life and by his death and by his resurrection. And let us remind you, friends, we're speaking about someone who's alive. Yes, Christianity makes much of the death of Christ, and indeed that's very important. But there's a resurrection. Jesus came out of the grave. And Jesus is alive. And alive forevermore. Of your trust. We're not asking you to trust in someone who's dead and buried and who's smoldering in the grave. That is what happens to all the heroes that we might have. As you get older, what do you find? You find that your childhood heroes pass on, whether they be sports stars or film stars or whatever. They all go the way of all the earth. Well, Jesus Christ is alive. And he's alive that he can never die. Death no longer has any hold or dominion or power or influence over Jesus Christ. And therefore, he is worthy of your trust. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you're to call upon this one who is alive forevermore. And you're to call upon this one who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's the one that you're to call upon. The one who is alive forevermore. And that one who has promised, he will receive all that will come to him. He will turn none away. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Our great problem this afternoon is we don't really appreciate our plight. We don't really appreciate our problem. We think we're okay. We don't think we're but we think that we're okay. We think that by our good works or by our religion or by some other way, somehow, that when we meet God, everything will be okay. He will accept us. He will have mercy upon us. Well, that is not the case. God is only merciful in Christ. 
And if you reject Christ, there is no hope. None whatsoever. It's God's way of salvation or no way. He has gone to great lengths to provide a solution and to provide a Savior for us. In the fullness of time, taking done all that was required of him. And therefore, this afternoon, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to speak of this glorious and this wonderful situation, to invite men, women, boys, and girls to come to the Savior and to embrace him as he has freely offered to us in the gospel. Does he support gays? Does he support gays? What do you mean? Happy people like? No, like just people who have, like women who have sex with women. Uh, what, what do you mean? Does he support them? I mean, don't know. You don't know. So why are you asking a question you don't know? Right. So the Bible says, the Bible says, uh, man shall not sleep with boy. But does that apply to pedophilia or to homosexuality? Well, what do you think? I think it applies to pedophilia because I'm gay. So no. I, I believe it applies to uh, pedophilia. I love being. I know! It's so much fun! What, what do you think it applies to? I don't think it applies to uh, pedophilia only. It's an abomination. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. There's wonderful news. Christ has come into this world to save sinners. All kinds of sinners. We're all sinners. We all need to be saved. None of us can get to heaven by ourselves, by our own good works, or by our own lifestyle. It's only through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. None. No, no, sir. No. None of us will be found in heaven unless we have a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. He alone is the one who can forgive our sins. No one else can forgive our sins. No priest can forgive your sins. Mary cannot forgive your sins. No angel can forgive your sins. Only Jesus Christ. Because He's the one who suffered and died in the room and in the place of sinners. And yes, he was crucified. Despite what people say, he was crucified. But he rose again. And he's alive forevermore. And that's why we're able to commend him to you as a saviour this afternoon. We're going to take a short break. But may God be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon.
Good afternoon again. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. Very glad that you're able to join with us on our weekly open This afternoon, we're from the City Centre, from the Street, and it's good to be here. Uh, the Christian Gospel, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is probably the most important message that you could possibly hear. This is something that affects every single one of us. None of us can dismiss this because one day, friends, we will stand before King Jesus. You know, it's very possible for us today to live a life without Him, without any reference to Him, to ignore Him. We admit that it's possible to do that. And many people today live without any reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He means nothing to them. Well, we would like to warn you. We would like to tell you that that position is only temporary because there will be a day when you will stand before Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible makes it clear and we would seek to take all our teachings and all our doctrines of the Bible. The Bible teaches us that there will be a day of judgment, a general judgment, when every individual will be judged and they will give account of their life and how they have lived. And they'll give account not just of their actions, but of their words and their thoughts. This is what will happen. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. When that day will be, I cannot tell. No one can. But it will come about on that day when he returns the Lord Jesus Christ shall return people today live without any reference to him but that day he will come behold he cometh in the clouds and every eye shall see him we're told in the book of Revelation see him you will stand before him you will give account of your words and of your thoughts now sincerely I would urge you that when that happens you will want a savior because of any one of us was to stand before Jesus Christ as we are by nature, we will be condemned. 
Why do I say that? I say that because the Bible tells us clearly there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore, if we are to stand before Jesus in our natural condition, we will be found guilty. Our sins will find us out. And we will be condemned on that day. And we will be condemned to a terrible place. Yes, I know that some people, when they go to churches and they hear ministers, very often ministers will not mention this word or this place. But we must. Because Jesus spoke to hell more than He did And if we stand before Jesus Christ on that great day of judgment in our natural condition, we will be condemned. And the punishment will be hell. Forever and forever. Without remit. No escape. No end. For eternity. Ages and ages and ages of eternity. What a fearful prospect that is. That's why we come out this afternoon. That's why we would tell you there's another way. There's a way to be right with God. There's a way to be reconciled to God. There is a way whereby our sins, which are great and which are many, can be forgiven. And that way is in Jesus Christ. That day, He will be a judge. That's in the future. I don't know when. One day, we will all stand before Him as a judge. But today, friends, this afternoon, we are coming straight. 29th of September, 2023, the Lord Jesus Christ is being proclaimed to you as a Savior, as one who will save us from all our sins. This is not what we saying. I thee of all accept. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And in order to save sinners, He had to die in the room and in the place of sinners. He had to be punished in their room for their sin, in their place. He is the sinner's substitute. And therefore, this is the day of grace. This is the day, time of God's favor. This is when we need to get right with God. Because now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This afternoon, we might introduce the Savior to you. That you might hear about this person. And about hearing about, about him and recognizing your plight, you might call upon him. 
And here's a promise. Here's an encouragement in the Word of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Young, old, male, female, rich, poor. It doesn't matter our language. It doesn't matter where we've come from. We're all sinners in the sight of God. We've all come from Adam and Eve. And therefore the promise goes out to all. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are to call upon Him. You are to turn your back upon your sin. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn, up, turn away from your lying. Turn away from your cheating. Turn away from your gossiping. Turn away from your fighting, from your drinking. Turn away from your fornication. Turn away from your adultery. Turn away from your homosexuality. Turn away from all sin. Turn, turn and seek the Lord. Repentance is required. And faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we come out, that you might know the good news. Christ place and therefore when that day of judgment comes if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you need not fear it Bible says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's why we come out. To tell you the truth. That you might run and find the Savior and flee from the wrath to come. It's good to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to draw our time to a close. But we trust that the Lord will follow with his blessing upon the preaching of his word.